0: Good morning. Now, before I dismiss our kids to go the third and third grade and under to go with Nate and Bethany, so don't get up kids. Before I do that, I just want to offer my thanks to the VBS ministry of Lake Point, or Lake Point, of Redeemer Church. Sorry about that, Shannon, little Freudian (laughs) slip there, of Redeemer Church. Your kids and probably rating your purses and pockets, they raised $556.09 for Latitude's ministry. And I want you to know how that's going to be used. Uh, each year when our interns graduate in South Africa, we give them a Bible like mine, much better shape than mine, but it's, a, it's an expensive Bible that we provide to them to send them on their way as leaders. It's a John Maxwell leadership Bible And your kids have been able to supply enough money for 10 of those Bibles. So in November, when Pastor Shannon and I go to South Africa and we graduate our interns, we're going to be handing out Bibles that our kids' ministry here at Redeemer provided. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for your generosity, kids. So you can go ahead and be dismissed if you're third grade and under and go with... The Joneses back there in the back. Well, before we dive into uh, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to be looking at a dream that Daniel had that God actually provided for him so that he could show Daniel things that were going to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had some crazy dreams in my life. And I remember uh, my first year when I was in college. Uh, I had three roommates four of us to a dorm room and one of my roommates got up one morning he had this puzzled look on his face and he goes guys last night I dreamed that I ate a 10 pound marshmallow (laughs) and when I woke up my pillow was gone (laughs) guess what I did I looked I looked on his bed to see if his pillow was still there I, I bought it hook line and sinker it was there it didn't disappear And so, years later, when I married Kimberly, I thought, I'm going to bring that one up and try it on her. And so, you know, I woke up and, you know, acted all upset, and I said, honey, last night I dreamed I ate a 10-pound marshmallow, and when I woke up, my pillow was gone, and she looked at me like, no way, I'm not going to fall for that. (laughs) So I guess I'm the only gullible one in the family. But it's funny about dreams, because Kimberly has the most vivid, uh, detailed dreams that you can imagine. She'll wake up in the morning and she'll entertain me with the dream that she just had the night before. She dreams on a regular basis. Me, on the other hand, if if I dream, I don't remember dreaming. If I do uh, think that I'm going to tell her, I can't remember any of the details. And so when a dream happens in my life that I remember very vividly, and there's a lot of details to it, especially if it's spiritual in nature, then I write down the dream. I record the dream, and I think I'm going to reflect on this and see if there's something that God's trying to tell me. And this is what Daniel does. Daniel has a dream, and it's interesting. Daniel was the kind of guy that he not only interpreted dreams, there was a time in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel had to actually tell him what he dreamt. And so Daniel's used in being the dream interpreter of the kingdom, and God gives a dream that Daniel himself cannot interpret. And so as we look at uh, this passage today, I'm going to read it in a minute, but we all live in turbulent times, don't we? I mean, it's kind of crazy out there right now. If you look in the news, you take 15 minutes a day to kind of scan social media and look at the news feeds and things like that. There's, there's crazy stuff going on. Let me just show you one sample of that in Haiti. Think about the nation of Haiti for a minute. For a minute. In the last month or so, their prime minister was murdered by mercenaries. They've had economic problems and, and, you know, unrest, civil unrest. And then this weekend, they had an earthquake. And so it just seems like things are piling on. And I've been to Haiti many times, and I know pastors and dear believers there. And the thought occurred to me, what do they do to keep their, anch- their hope anchored in times of turbulence and chaos and unrest? What keeps them strong? And I asked the same question about Daniel. You know, when you think about Daniel, the most we hear of Daniel is what we find in the book of Daniel, and it starts when his life is about 16 years old, when he's taken into captivity. But there's a lot of life before that. And I did a little research this week, and um, Daniel was born, his sovereign foundations were that he was born in 621 B.C., And King Josiah was king of Judah. A lot of the kings before Josiah had been people that the Bible says did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But Josiah was different. At eight years of age he became king and God did something incredible in Josiah. He began to grow in his faith and he began to embrace a relationship with God. And we see that he began to get rid of the idol worship in Israel. He began to get uh, rid of those who practice the occult and then he be, he found the book of the law that had been lost for some time and he had it read to him and when he heard what was written in the book of the law God convicted his heart and he began to reestablish all of the temple worship and the the festivals and celebrations that the Jewish people had had for centuries and so Daniel was born into a kingdom where there was a godly leader in place And there was a a spiritual awakening and revival going on. But very quickly, things began to change. His world began to be turbulent. Daniel was a part of the nobility. We don't know if he was a prince or just one of the nobles' children, but he had every advantage that nobility had to offer. He was handsome. He studied in the best schools. He was extremely smart and gifted. But his life began to unravel a little bit in... um, In 609 BC, Necho, king of Egypt, began to go up into Syria, and he was going to fight a battle there, and King Josiah didn't like that, and so he decided to go and stand up against King Necho of of Egypt. And it's interesting, Necho told him, he said, look, my quarrel's not with you. This isn't between you and I. God told me to quickly go up and fight this battle. Stay home. Josiah didn't listen. And so disguised uh, as another warrior, he goes and he's killed by an Egyptian arrow, just a random arrow. And so that begins a time of Egypt ruling over the, the nation of Judah. And then one of his sons becomes king, and after three months, he does such a terrible job that they take him to Egypt and they put his brother in his place. And the Bible says that his brother Jehoiakim did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And very quickly, Nebuchadnezzar defeated the Egyptians. And then this king that Daniel would have known and been under his reign, he decides to stand up against the the Babylonian empire. And of course, he's defeated. And what happens to this king is that he's put in bronze shackles and he's carried away 1,700 miles to Babylon. And this began the um, the most... upheaval in in Daniel's life as he too is taken captive, and he went 1,700 miles, probably four to five months on foot to get from Jerusalem to Babylon. So when we think about Daniel, we think of, you know, the adversity that he had growing up or later on, but he had adversity from the time he was born. And so life was never easy for Daniel. And this, this story takes place 14 years before the den of lions that Steve talked about. It's 52 years into his captivity and he was about 68 years old when this dream happened. So we're going to look at the dream of Daniel. It's a turbulent dream. It's turbulent times that God begins to talk about and we're going to see how God gives Daniel hope and what we can learn from this dream. Now, normally, if we were in life group, I would divide up this passage of Scripture and have like seven or eight people read it, but I'm, you're stuck with me today. So let's read Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 through 28 together. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised upon one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth. Between its teeth, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the beautiful words, the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beast had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell the horn that looked more imposing than all the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom That will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from the kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Wow, what a powerful dream. This is God's Word. Now, as we look at uh, this dream from Daniel, it's interesting because there's there's four beasts, there's four heads, there's four wings, there's times and times and half-times and it's, it's, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces, aren't there? And when you think about it, um, it happened at night. This dream had actually four acts to it, almost like a play. You had three beasts that Daniel looked and saw. You had a fourth, more terrifying beast that's kind of set apart as a different act. You have thrones of judgment being set up. And then you have the Son of Man appearing. Who is that son of man? And this, as I said earlier, was a dream that Daniel simply could not interpret for himself. He needed help and had to ask an angel or a messenger standing by. And the purpose of the dream was to provoke powerful feelings in Daniel, but ultimately to be an encouragement to him. And so as we look at this passage together, I believe that we can have steadfast hope in turbulent times. This story reveals five truths about God that give us a steadfast hope, and I hope you'll write these five truths down. First of all, God knows the end of the story from the beginning. God knows the end of the story from the beginning. He is the beginning and the end. He knows everything in between. This reminds us of God's omniscience. God knew from before the beginning of time, how history would play out. The Bible says that even Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. This is not something that, that God just thought up as he went along. This is not something that there were miscalculations or surprise endings and God saying, well, that didn't go, go how I expected. None of that happened. God began with the end in mind. He's always known That one day he would establish an eternal kingdom that would last forever and ever. And that kingdom would involve you and I. Those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. So God knows the end of the story from the beginning. How does that give us hope? That means that God knows what's going to happen in my life, in my community, in my nation. He's always known it from the beginning. God has a plan. Nothing's going to take God by surprise. Nothing's going to throw him off. He knows exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and in that we need to take hope. Because, folks, you and I can't read the future. We don't know what God's going to do in our lifetime, but we have to trust that God knows the end from the beginning. The second truth that we need to know about is that God controls history. God controls history. After all, it is his story. And this reminds us of God's sovereignty. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he's the one that charts the courses of history. And in this dream, as God's controlling history, we see that God takes the initiative. First of all, he brings up the four winds of heaven. And I don't know what it would be like. I'm not even sure what a meteorologist would say about this, but all four winds of heaven blowing at the same time. God did that. He took the initiative. Those four winds begin to churn up the sea to bring forth these four incredible beasts. We see the first beast in uh, verses four through six. It talks about one being a lion and having eagle's wings. And this reminds us of uh, Daniel chapter two the the gold statue the statue that 's made of the different metals that Nebuchadnezzar sees, but this this first lion with the eagle 's wings most doc, um, most commentators believe that this is actually King Nebuchadnezzar who lifted himself up in pride, and then the Bible says that God humbled him and lowered him down, and then eventually God raised him back up again. so we see that these beasts come up. The second beast is a bear with three ribs in its mouth. The third looks like a leopard with four heads and and four wings on it. So these first beasts, Daniel has an animal that he can liken them to. You know, it's like this one looks like a lion, but it's got eagle's wings. This one looks like a, a bear. This one looks like a leopard that has four wings on it. But this fourth beast comes along, and Daniel does not have an animal that would do it justice so he just says this fourth terrible beast but god's the one that churned up from the sea these four beasts it's god's initiative and secondly god gave the dominion and authority to the four beasts now this is one of those things that's hard for me to wrap my mind around why would god raise up these four kingdoms that are going to oppress his people and try to kill his people and and, and try to take them out. Why would God do that? But it says that he gave them dominion and authority and it's described as sovereignty, power, and greatness. But then we also see that not only does God give it to him, he takes it away. Says it with the one his wings are torn off, the first beast. He was lifted up The second beast was told to do something. The third beast was given authority. So God is the one that's doing all of this, giving dominion and authority to these beasts. And again, I think that would be hard for Daniel to understand. It's hard for us to understand. And then God allows the first three beasts to live for a time, but eventually they go away. And then fourthly, God gives the king who arises from the fourth beast special leeway. And friends, this one's tough for me as well. God allows someone to rise up to authority that takes over the whole earth, and he he does three things. Number one, he speaks out against God's authority. Number two, he oppresses God's people. And number three, he tries to alter God's sovereign plans. God allows this to happen. And in his sovereignty, he controls history. And it's easy for us to look around right now and go, it seems like things are out of control. But we have to find our hope. We have to anchor our hope in the fact that God controls history. One verse that anchors me from the New Testament, it says, in the fullness of time, that means the perfect time, just at the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Friends, God controls history. Sometimes people think that God created the world and he just left it to go on its own and he's just a a bystander waiting on the side, but that's not true. God is active in every detail of history. He is sovereign over history. He controls it. And so we need to take hope in that today. Uh, With what's going on in our world, that's what we as believers have to do is believe that God is in control and then third God reveals what we need to know in order to trust and endure you know I wish that God told us everything and we can read his scripture he provides his revelation to us he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit but the truth of the matter is we never know the whole story Paul himself who received revelation from God and saw visions and dreams that we can only imagine he said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. There are some times when God just tells us just enough for us to hope and put our trust in him. And it's the same thing with Daniel. Daniel was used to knowing all that God had in mind and interpreting dreams, and he had to ask for help, and he still didn't understand. Because these were not only four kingdoms that would come In you know, some of them in Daniel's lifetime and then immediately after that. This is also prophetic about something that hasn't happened yet, so it caused Daniel some concern and consternation. But when God doesn't reveal everything to us, how does this give us hope? Well, it reminds us that God is transcendent. He's higher than. He's greater than. His ways are beyond our understanding, Who can fathom the mind of the Lord? So God doesn't owe us to give us all the answers and reveal all of our future to us, but what he does is by grace, he reveals enough for us to put our faith in him and to trust him with the outcome of our life. We can rest in the God who knows the end from the beginning, the God who controls history, and the God who is going to reveal just enough for us to trust him. And this is hard for a believer. This is where it kind of separates a new believer from a mature believer, in my opinion, is the sufficiency of knowing I'm not going to have all the answers. I'm never going to arrive. There's going to be mysteries that are greater to me that I can't explain to people, but I trust God. And friends, you and I have enough through the the Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, through the teachings of the Word of God, we have enough to be able to trust God with the outcomes of our lives and know that He loves us, that He's gracious toward us, that He has plans to bless our lives. And we have to, even in the midst of turbulent times, we have to anchor our hope in the fact that God has revealed what we need to know to trust and endure. And then, fourthly, God will ultimately judge the nations. Make no mistake. You know, there's times in the Psalms where, where David and other psalmists are going, God, why are, you, why are you not doing anything? Why are you letting this happen? Why are these people getting away with this behavior? God, come to our aid. Do something, God. But we have to understand that our hope is anchored in the fact that God will ultimately judge the nations it's a beautiful picture isn't it these thrones that are being rolled out and it talks about him being an appearance of of white and him being called the ancient of days that's one of my favorite names for God the ancient of days but we see that that he is holding court and he's judging righteously and this reminds us of God's holiness his righteousness and his justice God does not let these kings get away with their evil deeds, and he judges them, and they are completely stripped of their power, and they will be completely destroyed. So, friends, as we live in Christians in a world that is becoming more and more intolerant of our beliefs, the way we choose to raise our families, how do we we endure? We have to realize that God will ultimately judge the nations, and we will be given a kingdom from God the Father. And so, the last thing I wanted to share with you is that uh, the the truth about God that gives us steadfast hope is that the Son of Man wins. The Son of Man wins. The Bible says that the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days, and He is given glory and honor, and power. So, who is this son of man? You know, there's some uh, scholars that will say, well, it doesn't really say who it is. It's kind of this nondescript son of man, but I will tell you what I believe. This son of man is a cloud rider. Only God rides on the clouds. <laughs> the Bible says in Psalm 104:3, the Lord makes the clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind only god uses that means of transportation so this son of man is god he is deity and so how do we make the connection daniel talks about this son of man who will come in the future it's interesting that in the new testament jesus christ refers to himself as the son of man over 80 times over 80 times jesus christ says that he is the son of man let me just just give you two examples mark ten forty five. for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many why is this son of man given dominion honor glory and power because he came to earth as a servant a suffering servant and gave his life as a ransom for many John 1 51, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The Son of Man that Daniel is talking about, that he sees coming up to the Ancient of Days, that is Jesus. And we see the omnipresence of God. You've got the Ancient of Days on the throne and the Son of Man coming before his presence. God the Father and God the Son. Jesus is who Daniel sees. He approaches the Ancient of Days. He's led into his presence. He's given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All kingdoms will, nations, rulers, and people of every language will worship and obey him. Friends, this is one of the reasons that Redeemer is a missional church. Every tribe and tongue and nation needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And there will come a time when people from every tribe and village and nation will honor and glory and worship him and obey him. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, you think about it for a minute. All of these other kingdoms were powerful and they took over the world, but they, they only lasted for a period of time. God's kingdom will never end. And when Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, when he came and he talked about the kingdom of God being among you, you know, it's kind of the now and not yet. We are living as kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, but it will not be realized in all its fullness until Jesus Christ comes back, by the way, riding on the clouds of heaven. (laughs) And so we take comfort in knowing that the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and he shall reign forever and ever. And when I thought about that, you know, you're probably thinking of Handel's Messiah and hearing that in your mind, and he shall reign forever and ever. Why do the nations rage? Why do they lift up their hands against the Lord's anointed? They will not stand. The Son of Man wins. When I was in Egypt several years ago, we had to do kind of a quick tour of the uh, Antiquities Museum in Egypt, and that's, that's really sad. I wanted to spend days there, and before our flight, we had just a few hours, and we went in there, and they had King Tutankhamun's throne, and in front of his throne was a footstool, and on that footstool are engravings of these warriors, and when you read the little inscription, it says, he rested his feet on this footstool, and these were Nubians and other nations that he had conquered. And when he came and sat on his throne, he would put his feet on that footstool, just reminding everyone that he had conquered, that he had made his enemies his footstool. And friends, I want to tell you, I know in my heart of hearts that there's going to come a day when the Son of Man makes his enemies his footstool. The nations may rage now, the the seas may be turbulent in our lives and in our world, but there will come a time when Jesus wins. Steadfast hope is not something we can just conjure up. God has to supply the hope as we trust in him. We don't understand when our world scares and discourages us and we begin to wonder if God is really in control, but that's when the Holy Spirit helps us. That's when he provides the hope for us. I want to read to you uh, the lyrics of a song that's really been speaking to me lately. It's by Toby Mac. It's called Help is on the Way. I'm just going to read a portion of it. Sometimes it's days. Sometimes it's years. Some face a lifetime of falling tears. But he's in the darkness. He's in the cold. Just like the morning, he always shows It may be midnight or midday. It's never early, never late. He's going to stand by what he claims. I've lived enough life to say, help is on the way, rounding the corner. Help is on the way, coming for you. I've lived enough life to say, help is on the way. I've seen my share of troubles, but the Lord ain't failed me yet. So I'm holding on to the promise, y'all, that he's rolling up his sleeves again friends, you have reason to anchor your hope in the fact that God has known the end from the beginning. God controls history. He provides enough revelation in your life for you to trust him and for you to endure. He will judge the nations, make no mistake, nothing will escape the righteous judgment of God. He will make all things right, and then the Son of Man is going to win. And I'm going to leave you with a, a thought here, and then by way of prayer, I'm going to actually, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to read a portion of scripture as our prayer. But I want to leave you with this. In Romans 15, 13, says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's plan for your life that in the midst of turbulent times your hope is anchored and you don't have to conjure it up yourself god says that he is the god of hope so that's the source of it he'll fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you not only get hope you get joy and peace to boot and then it says that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit this is our finest moment church when the world is turbulent, when the world is chaotic around us, this is supposed to be our finest moment. We are to be filled with joy and peace and hope as we boldly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So don't dare give in to discouragement. Don't dare give in to fear. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He's given us a spirit of power. And there is hope for you, there is grace for you, there is strength for you to endure, so don't give up the fight. The Son of Man wins. So let's, let me read this, if you'll bow your heads. Let me read this passage of Scripture to you from 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter wrote this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. Amen.